I love that video. I'm going to miss it when we don't do this series anymore. But good morning, Skyline. Happy Labor Day weekend. We have made it to the end of the summer. We've also made it to the end of our series on enjoying God. Now, throughout this journey, we have been challenging ourselves to open up to the idea that God is not only someone to be adored. He's not only someone to be worshipped. He's not only someone to be obeyed, but he's also someone to be enjoyed. And I know for some of you, that's a foreign concept. Uh, you didn't grow up with that idea of God, but lest you think that this is some newfangled 21st century teaching, I want to remind you there's something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So they used to have these things that they developed about, this is what we believe about God. And this was adopted in 1649. So that's a long time ago. And this is how it begins. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So even back then, hundreds of years ago, Christians knew that it was about enjoying God. And so... That's what we want to set out, finding how we can do that, how our enjoyment of God is so tied to our purpose. So in this series, we've introduced the concept of delighting in God. And in the first week, we said that we have an inheritance, and that inheritance is Jesus himself. That is our portion. That is something that can never be taken away from us. And so that's the basis for our joy. And then we said that we're going to have to be willing to fail at some things in life if we're going to succeed at enjoying God. We're going to have to make some of those priority decisions. And then just last week, we flipped the whole question around. And we said it's not only about us enjoying God, but does God actually enjoy us? Could that be possible too? And we're going to come back to that idea at the end of the message today. But today, today we want to move on from there and we want to extend this idea of enjoying God to the conversations that we have with Him, better known as how we pray. And so our word of the day today is conversation. Now, it was about a month ago that me and my family uh, spent a week down in Cape May, New Jersey. I'd never been to Cape May before, and it was, it was nice. And the best part of it, of course, is being with family. And some of the best moments from that trip were the 7 a.m. walks on the beach that I got to do with my son, Dwight. Now, as you can imagine, to uh, men, you know, uh, there were some times where there was just silence. We were just walking, and that's okay. We're, we're good with that. Um, but then there were topics, and, and they ranged all over the map. Um, I was telling him about some of the stories from my youth that he hadn't heard before. Uh, we talked about his great-grandparents, who he didn't know very well at all. Um, we talked about technology. Both of us are engineers, so there's a, a common thread there. And then we talked about Bitcoin. That is one of his 
favorite pastimes. If, if you meet my son, if you run into him, I guarantee you, if you're talking to him for a minute or more, the topic of Bitcoin will roll around. We even talked about, and this is, this is true, we talked about the book of Revelation and how it prophesies about a one-world government and all the things that we could see happening in our society and in our world today that's pointing to that prophecy coming true, maybe in the near future. You know, those, those were really good conversations that we had. And it didn't hurt that we were out on the beach, you know, in the morning. But interestingly, in all that conversation, he never once asked me for anything. Now, when he was a child, he used to ask me for lots of stuff, right? We'd go to the store, and it's like, Dad, can, can we buy that toy? Or, uh, Dad, can I get some ice cream off the good humor truck? But as the relationship matured over the years, there's been less and less of those transactional conversations and more and more interactional conversations. And this is a good thing. This is, I think, the way that it's supposed to be. So here's a question that I would like you to consider as we kick off this topic today of how we pray, the kind of conversations that we have with our Heavenly Father. If you couldn't ask God for a thing, would you have anything to talk to Him about? Think about that for a moment. Think about the typical things that you say to God in prayer and how much of that is centered around requests. Here's what I think. I think for too long we have tied our relationship to God and with God to lies, actual lies about how he feels about us and how he wants us to engage with him. And if we're going to change that, we are going to have to um, put some intentional effort into that. For each of us, this has been a, a faith journey, this idea of enjoying God and learning how to do that. And what is faith? Faith is, on the one hand, we have a set of facts that we believe are true about something. But on the other hand, we have what God says is true. And who are you going to believe? So if we're going to journey with God by faith, we're going to have to try some things that maybe we've never tried before. And it may be uncomfortable at first. So we're going to challenge you in this area of prayer in that way. And that leads us to the big idea this morning. It is inevitable that during your faith journey with God, habits will creep into your spiritual life that God never intended. Therefore, you will have to be intentional about reshaping them. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, habits, oh, he's talking about drinking or gambling. No, not actually. I'm talking about habits that we learn through religion or habits that we learn from other well-intended people that worm their way into our routines and influence how we engage with God. And I think the number one spiritual habit where that is true is this idea of prayer. You see, I think God is trying to show us that there's a way to engage with him, to have a conversation with him, and it doesn't look anything like what most of us do when we pray. 
So what should we do about that? Well, well, let's go back to the Bible. Let's take a fresh look at what God is telling us about prayer in the Bible. Now, the number one go-to passage on prayer in the Bible has to be what we all know as the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at that eventually. But before we actually get into the prayer, I want you to see the verses that lead up to the prayer. This is the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples when he eventually introduces that prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now I'm guessing that most of you do not have a problem with showboating your prayers in public. In fact, I'm thinking most of you are probably downright nervous if somebody told you you had to pray in public right here this morning. In fact, you'd probably rather keep it short and sweet or maybe not at all. But even though you might not struggle with putting on a show for others when you pray, do you struggle with putting on a show for God? For instance, when you pray, does it sound like every other conversation that you have with other people? Or do you use words and sentence structures and vocabulary that you would never ever use with somebody else, but you just reserve that for when you pray to God? It's almost like we've been taught by the habits of others that there's this this special vocabulary that we break out when it's time to pray, right? And we just use it in that setting. So observation number one this morning is that prayer is not a show. It's not a show for other people, but it's also not a show that we put on for God. Observation two is that prayer is not about repetition. And again, in Matthew we read, when you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Now, It always amazes me that Jesus gives this instruction right before he gives the Lord's Prayer. And what do we as Christians do? We repeat the Lord's Prayer verbatim again and again. It's almost like Jesus knew exactly what we would be tempted to do with this prayer. Reduce it to some kind of a formula. But that's not what he intended. And he makes that very clear. So he goes on in verse 8. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So here's the question that you might ask this morning after reading that. If He already knows my needs, what's the point of praying and telling Him about it? And that's exactly the point. Jesus is telling them That's not what prayer is about. And if you think, what's the point of praying if God already knows my needs, 
then you're missing the point of the conversation. There's something different he's after. So observation 2A, and I have to call it 2A because it wasn't in my original notes. So if you're looking for it on your program, you won't find it. It came to me after the program was printed. <clears throat> but observation 2A is prayer is not only about our needs. Now, needs are a part of it, for sure. But it's not only about that. Now, I want to go back briefly to verse 7 and read it in a different version because out of this English Standard Version comes a slightly different application that we can make. <clears throat> Notice it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Observation 3 is get rid of the empty phrases. Now, when I was growing up, <clears throat> I learned a prayer that we prayed at our table before every supper, every dinner that we ate, we in unison recited this prayer. I've got to remember it. Lord, no, that's not how it started. It started, we thank thee, Heavenly Father, for this food. Bless it and nourish it to our bodies. Provide for those who are in need in Jesus' name. Amen. And that was good. That was a good way to teach your children the importance of giving thanks to God. But what would happen is later in, in life, when I would start to now pray my own prayers, I would be asked to pray for a meal, and I would invariably start out, we thank thee, Heavenly Father, for this food, and then eventually I'd kind of branch off into my own prayer. And the thee that I had started with would become you, and, and it would just change. And, and I realized, what was I doing? Well, I had been stuck with this thing that I memorized, and I just couldn't get away from it. So I was just empty phrasing it at the beginning, right? It wasn't like it, it was what I was really praying. It was just the way I started the prayer. And it's an empty phrase. Now, I see this a lot in, in our prayers, in my prayers as well. I think we probably all do this, is we repeat the Lord's name a lot in our prayers. So it might sound something like this. Lord... We want to bring to you, Lord, this day, Lord, our very best, Lord, and ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, right? You've heard that. But, but what is that? Uh, it's, it's not the way we talk to other people. Like, if I had my best friend over, and I said to him, Josh, I'm just glad, Josh, that you're here, Josh, today, Josh. Like, he would look at me, it's like, are you okay? Uh, that's good. I... I know that you know my name. Now, can we, can we move on from there? So, Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage, don't use the empty phrases. Get rid of the empty phrases. And I think that means that he had probably seen it in their prayers too, right? So, we're all in this together when we talk about this. And, you know, the point is don't be so self-conscious uh, that you're afraid to pray, right? You're afraid to make a mistake. That's not the point. The point is we want to pray, but we want it to flow naturally. We want it to be a conversation with God. So, so practice that. It's, it's not like it's going to change overnight, right? This is a journey that all of us are on together. Now, the Lord's Prayer is recorded in two different Gospels. We've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew and how it's introduced there. I want to briefly jump over to Luke and see how it's introduced in Luke chapter 11. 
It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I would say that the whole concept of prayer was one that was already familiar to the disciples. They were Jews. They were taught from an early age how to pray. So, so why are they asking him this question? Why this question, teach us to pray? See, I think that they overheard Jesus praying, and they were moved by what they heard, and they realized that what he was doing in prayer, that was a totally different experience than their experience in prayer. And it was so radical that it prompted them to say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. Teach us to pray like, like we just heard you praying, because that's not the way we pray. And so in response, Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. He gives the disciples a list of topics that they can engage God in. For instance, relationship, our Father. Worship, hallowed be your name. The gospel, your kingdom come. Physical provision, give us this day our daily bread. Spiritual provision, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Direction, lead us not into temptation. Protection, deliver us from the evil one. See, I look at these as suggested topics that we can pray about, but it's certainly not an exhaustive list. And he doesn't say, this is all you can pray for, this is all you can ever pray for, and pray only this. No, this is just the beginning lesson on prayer. This is prayer 101. But to see Jesus' end teaching, the end of what he wanted them to know about prayer, I think you have to go nearly to the end of Jesus' life, to the prayer that he prayed right before he was arrested. And it's sometimes referred to as the Lord's high priestly prayer. And I want you to note that he was with his disciples when he prayed this. He prayed it out loud because he obviously wanted them to hear it and he wanted them to learn something from it. So follow me in John 17. We're going to read through a little bit of that prayer. It says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I love that line. It speaks to the phenomenal intimacy that Jesus shared with the Father before time even began. And Jesus is looking forward to that reunion with the Father. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He's talking about the plan that he and the Father were executing together. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, 
but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now what's he doing here? He's interceding for the disciples. He's interceding for the believers. He's doing what a priest would do, and that's why it's called the high priestly prayer. He says, now I am departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. I am coming to you. There's a motion there. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction. He's talking about Judas who would soon betray him as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. There's that line again. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now, I don't know if you know this. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? He prayed for you right here in this prayer. He says, I'm not just praying for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe. That's you. That's you sitting here right here this morning if you have believed in Jesus. And you see the Son engaging the Father in this incredibly intimate moment, in this incredibly intimate conversation. He goes on to say, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Now let me ask you something. Is that him repeating the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer was part of his introductory teaching about prayer. Here are some things that you can include in your conversation with God. But this, this is where he wanted to take them where they would have this kind of conversation with their dad, where they would have this kind of engagement with the father, where it would be personal. This is not a formula. This is personal. We don't only see it in the prayers of Jesus. We see it in Paul. And he oftentimes, in the middle of one of his letters, just explodes into prayer. It's like he doesn't even intend to include the prayer in it, but he gets so worked up about what he's teaching them, the truth that's behind it, that he just starts praying. 
I think we see this in Ephesians, in the letter he wrote to that church, in chapter 3, because he's just finished telling them that even though he's in chains, even though he's in prison, even though he's likely to be executed, that the gospel message is going forward. And that's the, that's the point. That's the important part of it all. And after he says that, he says this, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, and then he prays. And then he goes off on this, this prayer rant that he, can't, he just can't keep it inside. But it's not a formula. It's not repeating the same phrase over and over again. It's, it's personal. So if you want to find out about somebody's engagement with God, don't ask them, how's your prayer life? Ask them, how's your conversation with God this week? And I'm giving you permission to ask each other that question this week, right? So I expect to hear it. You know, I learned a lot about conversational prayer when I was introduced to and read the book, The Papa Prayer. In that book, in order to help his readers break out of the habit of only asking God for things, Larry Crabb challenges us to go for, and I don't remember if it was a week or a whole month, without asking God for anything when we pray. And what would that look like? Or better yet, what would that sound like? It might start with some silence until we figure it out. But here's the thing to remember. Whatever it is that you were going to bring to God as a request, just share your heart with him about that. Share how you're feeling about that. Like, like God, I'm, God, I'm really nervous about that test that I have to take tomorrow. Or, or God, I'm really scared. My mom's been sick and she's not getting any better. God, I, I don't know what I'm going to do if that person leaves this world. Like, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. Share your heart with God. But you might say, Mike, I, I don't know how to do that. And I would say back to you, yes, you do. Yes, you do, because you do it all the time. You may not have that conversation with God, but you have it with people that you know and love. You have that conversation all the time. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a little chance to practice this. We're going to take 30 seconds, and we're going to bow our heads. And I want you to think of what is the number one thing, the number one request that you would have that you would bring to God, but instead of asking for it, share your heart with him about how you're feeling about that. Go ahead, take the next 30 seconds. Let's do that together.
Recently, I was reminded of a familiar passage. Um, it's also in the book of Ephesians where Paul is talking about marriage. And he says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, you see, I used to think that this passage taught that the way that Christ loves the church is the way that I'm supposed to love my wife. But that's not what it says. It's the opposite. It's the other way around. It says that God designed marriage to show us what the love of Christ and the church was to be. Why does marriage exist? It exists so that it can be the illustration so that we can know the tremendous love that Jesus has for the church, for the believers. God made it to be an illustration of that. See, God wants you to know him. He does not wish to remain a mystery. And he's designed the whole world, marriage included, all of it, to be the illustration of who he is and how he loves us. And it's why the psalmist can say, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth proclaims his handiwork. It's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. The whole thing, all of creation, is an illustration so that we can know intimately the God who desires intimacy with us. So here's your homework this morning. Now, I know you don't want homework. It's a holiday weekend. The last thing you want is homework. But I'm giving it to you anyway. This week, look at your conversation with God and ask, where is this not a conversation? What are the empty phrases that I'm bringing into it? Am I, allow, am I allowing my conversation to be dominated by my needs and requests? Or am I sharing my heart with him? Is this a relational conversation or a transactional conversation? And if you're the type of student who loves to do the extra credit project, I've got an extra credit project for you too. Go out and buy the book, Papa Prayer. Read that, I guarantee you will be challenged to pray in a way that you probably haven't thought of before. You see, God designed this whole physical universe that we live in to be an illustration of how we could know his incredible love for us. But we trashed it. We trashed the creation. We trashed the relationship. We trashed the intimacy. And then what did God do? He sent Jesus to come and to die to buy it all back. We call that redemption. That same God, your heavenly Father, desires to have a conversation with you this week that leads to intimacy. And it's not only so you can enjoy him. He wants to have that conversation because he enjoys you, just like that walk on the beach. So this week, let's expand our conversation with God to include some of these elements that we've talked about. Will you pray with me? 
Dad, you know that I struggle with this just as much as anybody. You know that, that I have been taught my whole life how to pray to you, and it's formal, and it doesn't go to the heart of what I really, really need to be talking to you about. God, this week, I want to have those conversations with you. I know you want to have them with me. Let's do it together. In Jesus' name, amen.